There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I have my PhD in history, but I'm an expert in whooping it up. Woohoo! White gloves and dirty documents. That's how this historian gets down. I am JMZ. I'm a doctor, and my prescription is more shade. Hello, you're here with me, Casey. Not a J-Mail, the millionaires. Max Spear, waking up from a really long nap. So we've been absent for a bit, and we're back. We've had an action-packed year. Uh, I think our last episode came out on October 1st of 2021, and then we had to kind of have everything... Grind to a stop. They are burying the lead. Please get to it. What has been holding you up? Max and I are now doctors. Uh, so we had to we had <laughs> we had to finish uh, filing, and we did that while we were uh, getting our historians on housewives book to press. Indeed. So we couldn't do all three things at once. So we got the initial press packet done. We got the book off uh, in the fall. And then... You people came last. What can we say? Well, the dissertations then really had a timeline for review and filing. Yeah, Historians on Housewives came last. So anyway, uh, we're going to be here with a new season and soon a book. Let me go back to historians on housewives had to come last because I needed to be able to look at my colleagues and say, no, they're working on their dissertations. I haven't seen them all year long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I'm excited for this episode. Uh, We talked to Brett Rushforth and Allison Madar. Allison uh, was with us in season one and we're talking to them about the Real Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And we talked to them just after season one wrapped. And so now we're already at the almost beginning of season three. And I believe Jen Shaw's trial date is now slated for July 11th. So that'll be coming up. And 
but I, what I love about this episode is hearing about Salt Lake City from people who lived there, who can kind of give us this extra lens on to how these housewives are representative or not of the area. And so let's get into it. Allison Madar completed her PhD at Rice University in 2013 and is currently an assistant professor of history at the University of Oregon. Before coming to Oregon, she spent a year as a documentary editor at the Papers of Thomas Jefferson Retirement Series, another as the full-time book review editor at the American Historical Review, and she worked at California State University Chico for three years. And Brett Rushforth is an associate professor and chair of the history department at the University of Oregon. He is a scholar of comparative slavery and French colonialism focused on indigenous North America and the African diaspora. Welcome to the show, Allison Madar and Brett Rushforth. Thank you. Excited to be here. We're so happy that you could join us today. And I was wondering if you would like to start out by sharing your Real Housewives taglines. Well, I think I'm going to let Brett take this one. His is so good that I just um, couldn't come up with anything new from my last visit with you. And his is just really, really good. So (laughs) go ahead, Brett. A lot of pressure. Just like my polygamist Utah ancestors, I deny all knowledge of these six wives. So, Brett, let, let's get into it before we actually get into it. Um, I know you're from Salt Lake, but we actually don't know where Allison is from. Where are you both from, and how did you meet? Well, I guess well, where's Allison from, and where did you meet? <laughs> okay, yeah. So, um, I grew up in northeastern Ohio, um, about 30 miles, in a suburb about 30 miles east of Cleveland, um, and spent my whole childhood and college years in Ohio. Um born and raised in a Catholic family. So went to Catholic school from kindergarten through 12th grade as well. Okay. Yeah. And I guess I'll tell the meeting story. So we, we sure. met in the nerdiest possible way. Um, okay. We were introduced uh, by a friend who is an editor and uh, we were getting together to watch a soccer game. And this fr- mutual friend of ours brought Allison along. And uh, once I got to know that she was a book review editor and I was a book review editor, <laughs> I had my in. So I started wow. flirting with her by talking about book reviews. And that is the <laughs> honest truth. <laughs> it's the most embarrassing nerd story ever, but it worked. What's that opening line like? <laughs> so you have book reviews much? Uh, you know, I don't know. It's, no, we were just, I was asking for advice because I had just taken over as the book review editor of William Mary Quarterly, and uh, she had done the Southern, uh, you know, the Journal of Southern History. And so I just uh, started asking her for advice, and I really did want the advice, um, but I wanted it to come from her specifically. Uh-huh. Well played. Well played on both of your parts. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's funny. That's actually kind of funny because Max and I spent most of our first dates writing book reviews together for our master's (laughs) program. (laughs) Very nice. Well, there you go. So we're not the only ones. That's great. Book reviews really are the aphrodisiac 
of the profession. <laughs> Nothing harder. Nothing harder than a book review. Oh, uh, Casey, I feel like you want to take us beyond this. 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 How to score with a historian moment and have a the podcast. So. Jessica and Brett, we hear that you guys go way back, like circa Coach Shaw and Jen Shaw in college days. And so I was wondering if you guys remember meeting and what campus life was like at the University of Utah. And correct me if I'm mistaken, but historian Peggy Pasco taught there when you guys were there. So did yeah, you guys did. did you guys know or take classes with Peggy Pasco? So all of the above. Well, I will give Brett the floor, and then I will I will mount my counter arguments for whatever story I <laughs> tell about how we met. Sounds good. Well, so um, I, I definitely remember uh, uh, Sharif um, from being on the football team, and what I remember mostly is his injury. Uh, he got injured in his senior yeah. year, and it ended his career. And I remember that was a big story because he was, uh, you know, that he was really promising for his future and everything. So that's the piece I remember. I never had a class with either of them, but I did have a class with Jessica. <laughs> we were in Paul Johnson's <laughs> U.S. History Survey class. I'm blushing already because I know how this goes. <laughs> yeah, and I was just an idiot. Yeah, I talked a lot because that's just what I do. Um, but Paul was a really good lecturer if what you mean is like he's reading the draft to the textbook he was writing <laughs> and i really liked the class we but we we read a lot of books in that class and then eventually we went to a phi alpha theta conference right jessica and we um presented at the same conference oh wow oh yeah okay great yes that is exactly what happened <laughs> that's exactly oh, what happened whew, i got it right it was, that's exactly what happened mm-hmm. and then what happened? And then we really didn't see each other until later, later in the profession, right? Yeah, years later. Um, you came to the Amahantra Institute in Williamsburg to give mm-hmm. a paper, and we talked then. Mm-hmm. And even after that, it was a while, um, until uh, really quite a bit more recently. Right. When I we started writing conferences, and you came right. to Oregon for that uh, African American Intellectual History Conference that uh, Leslie and Curtis put on. Right. So Leslie Alexander and Curtis. Wow, I blanked Austin. on Curtis's last Austin. Thank Austin, you. Yeah. I was going to say Adams. Um, they put on this great conference. I was actually a last minute ad. I said, it's just up the street. So I went and Brett Rushforth, Brett Rushforth has the distinction of being one of the only people that has said, as they've announced me, and and someone who went to my undergrad alma mater. And likewise, I can say it about Brett, because there's only like me, Brett, and Matthew Mason, I think, that um, right. is also a professor that, um, you know, who who goes from the University of Utah and goes out into becoming a historian? Okay, everyone. But um, <laughs> you know how you go to, you, you have the UCLA people, you have the NYU people, you have the Harvard people. They can all talk about, oh, yes, we are alums. Well, we're alums of the same institution. And so that's how that we met. Right. We go we go way back. Um, and Brett and Matt Mason sat in the front of the room. And I sat in the back, cutting my eyes at people, wondering, is this for me? Um, and that was it. And here we go. And the historians <laughs> were born. And here we are now talking about Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. 
Um, Brett, did you take classes with Peggy Pascal? I didn't. You know, I didn't know who Peggy was until I got to graduate school. Um, and then I regretted not having a class from her because I read her first book um, in grad school and I loved it. And then I found out she had come to the University of Oregon. And so after my master's program, I applied to work with her as a PhD student mm-hmm. at the University of Oregon with her and Jeff Osler. And I was rejected. I did not get in. And so I do like to remind my colleague, Jeff Osler, that um, I applied to work with him and he rejected me, but now I'm his department chair. So. <laughs> A dump bump. Drama. <laughs> A drama. So I tell my Peggy, <laughs> I tell my Peggy Paxel story often. I took her class on women's history. Um, I was probably my second or third year in and she did this great class on women's history. And at the very end of the class, everyone clapped for her. And I said, what is this? You can be smart and people will clap for you. <laughs> I mean, a star was born. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's, I think that was the moment it clicked. Like, oh, wait, this is the thing for me. Like, it took me all quarter long to realize she was actually doing a performance. Um. And I said, I think I can get with this. So, and then later, um, you know, Peggy, Peggy is just wonderful, um, rest her soul. And then later when I came to the UC Mm -hmm. Irvine, Vicky Ruiz was very good friends with her. And so we did a few events together. So I then encountered her in, in, in later life, actually Vicky Ruiz and Eileen Boris put together a special panel on her, her last book at the AHA, so we were able to give her her flowers at the, uh, at the AHA when it was in was, San Diego. So. Was that Relations of oh, Rescue? No, this is the sec- the last one, the one about interracial relationships. I was in her class oh, when yeah. the Relations of Rescue came out. This last one is on... You can tell I don't do the late period. It's what comes it's, naturally. There we go. There we go. So, yes, um, I did take class with Peggy. Okay, so we've kind of already talked about when Sharif plays football. Now I'm switching back. Um, okay, so I do believe I had a class with them, but I won't. Uh, with Sharif and Jen, they sat at the front of the room, but I, you know, I can't be 100% assured. So allegedly, I took an undergrad class and they were in <laughs> class with me. But, but Brett, you've been watching the show, and Allison, you can jump in here too. What do we think about how Coach? Pr- Coach Shaw presented himself, and what do we think about Jen? Let's just jump in. Allison, do you want to go first? Sure, I can go first. Um, Well, Coach Shaw is a coach. Um, From the moment he kind of wakes up until the time he goes to to sleep, he's, I mean, he seems to always be in that mode. It seems to be what Jen needs from him, Um, getting her uh, pep talks. And, and all of that, he seems to me a very patient man um, and <laughs> um, dealing with some of the things that, that Jen brings to him. Um, you know, Jen, I think, has watched a lot of Housewives um, and came to the show knowing kind of who she wanted to be and what she thought she would be um, with her, you know, Shaw squad and all of the... Um, dresses and, and different looks that she brings throughout the um, throughout the season. You know, to me, she is trying to emulate in some ways Erica Jane in, in a lot of ways from Beverly Hills, you know, to, to bring the looks and to bring mm-hmm. the attitude. 
um, every time she walks in the door. So, okay, okay, uh, uh, Brett. That was a very polite answer, Allison. Very polite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought uh, Sharif was uh, really interesting to watch because, on the one hand, he was very patient, um, but there were times where I felt that the sort of coach talk felt a little condescending to me mm-hmm. where he was, you know, trying to tell Jen what she needs to do. And she seemed to respond okay to that. So it, it didn't feel coercive necessarily, but it did seem a little condescending. Um, and I think like that it wasn't the word intended that baby way. Baby a lot. Baby. Yeah. He does call yeah, me baby. baby. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. so many babies. Baby. That's like, Hey, <laughs> he just says it right. over and over. But, you know, the one moment where I really thought that they both were in their sort of vulnerable selves was when she finally broke down. You know, they're in the bedroom. She's in a robe. And she tells him, I just, I'm not strong enough to do this. And then he reveals to her, you know, that he had gone through some tough times and she accepted him during that time. And I thought that was a really kind of uh, neat moment where they both were completely human, completely vulnerable. And, uh, you know, after that point, I saw them in a different light. Um, you know, Jen is an interesting, interesting character, obviously. She's, she's volatile and she would, uh, grab attention any way she could. Um, but you know, I also understand you're know, like in the reunions when she was talking about having grown up in Utah as a woman of color. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. tell you anything about this, Jessica. Um, cause obviously you have, you have insight about this that I'll never have, but I really, could understand what she was trying to convey and what everyone else in the room was completely overlooking and ignoring. Right. That, you know, she grew up just kind of having to fight for everything. And right. you know, that's kind of the mode she adopted. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually glad uh, we can talk about this because, you know, there's very early on, she talked about people just assuming she was black because she was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, she's Tongan, right? Her, 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 one of her, her dad's mm-hmm. from Tonga. Um, mm-hmm. and so people outside of Utah don't understand that in Utah, you are, you are white or you're black and everything falls into that black category where I think she was wrong with saying she is black. That's, that, that's yeah. different by than saying everyone assumes you're black or everyone assumes you're, you know, like with Latinos, everyone assumes that Latinos are all Mexican. But where Jen got mm-hmm. in trouble, she was, she was saying that, you know, because I'm black, no, 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 no. That's what also got Mary's dander up, but you're not black. But I can understand where Jen was saying, in Utah, you really are only seen as white or black. It's only even recently you've been, there's been a big enough Latino presence that, you know, again, everyone is Mexican because, you know, Utah is unreconstructed. So that was the thing. <laughs> They're really unreconstructed. I mean, with Jen, that that's where I said, okay, too far. Too far because she, um, I get it. I get growing up as a woman of color in Utah and you always have to fight. Oh my God, all your life you have to fight. But I mm-hmm. also wonder if she was blurring certain things that I it kind of set me, it, it kind of set my teeth on edge when she blurred certain things. Um, and so I understand her tension with Mary. I don't know. Would, would anyone want to comment yeah, on that's that? That's really interesting. <laughs> I mean, before, anyone want to comment? before um, we, get into her dynamic with Mary, I wonder, has everybody seen and or heard of the video leaks with Jen screaming um, at her Shaw squad on 
during her reunion prep. Like, so they needed to get her dress ready and everything. And she's throwing stuff and cussing at them. And it is, it is really intense to watch. And, you know, I think it, it just also seemed at least in the, in the footage that was leaked that, um, that it came very abruptly, you know, so you don't really get like anything that leads up to that moment, but it, it in some ways tracks with how quickly her, um, changes would come on the show, right. Where she's kind of just chatting mm-hmm. and, and she's okay one minute and the next minute it is, you know, we're at a 10 and it's, you know, a very, um, intense reality TV moment. Um, and so I wonder if if this leaked footage is also going to prompt any sort of change in her demeanor in season two. Yeah, I read about um, the you know the footage and this this particular blow up. Um, I didn't I didn't you know watch or listen to it, um, but I, I did read enough of the direct quotes from it to know that it um, was pretty bad, um, really bad. Um, it didn't surprise me, um, just based on what we saw all season, the, the quickness with which that flip was often switched, um, you know, and, but it also, you know, it makes me think that that is her more constant state of being than, than it's not, even though she was presenting something relatively calm for the majority of the reunion. And, you know, people are like, oh, that's not Jen, that's not Jen. But I think maybe it might be. I think maybe it might be. But I also feel like, I agree with you, Allison. I think that she did her, her research, right? She's not she's mm-hmm. not a dumb woman by any stretch of the right. imagination. Oh, no. So she knew, she knew what she wanted to do coming into this. And I think for all the women, they kind of, crafted there wasn't necessarily any kind of searching of who I'm going to be and I Mm -hmm. feel like Jen rolled out like five seasons of personalities in one season (laughs) yeah I feel like she was you know she didn't stick to one and she rolled out all five so I'm almost wondering if with the video leakage it could either it could because there's the audio and then there's the video that um we just saw last night uh that I, I sent to Casey um so there's this moment where she could either be an, a great asset and we keep her on for the next season or Bravo might be like, oh, just it's time. Let her go. Not in this mm-hmm. moment. Can we have this? Is so it, it'll be interesting to see what Bravo does. But isn't Jen and Sharif somehow involved with the production of Salt Lake? I believe Allegedly. my cursory research revealed that the Shaw Productions might have a stake in, in, in this franchise. Wow. Um, I have not verified it on IMDb, but I do believe that my cursory research revealed that they put up some money. Similar to like Greg and Nene Leakes. Greg put up a little bit of money Mm -hmm. for um, Atlanta. So so this is unheard of. But this this is where Casey and I fall down the rabbit hole and say, (laughs) well, is this like Kelsey Grammer and Camille? Was he just giving her a little show for something else to happen later? I mean, we have all kinds of questions. See? Yeah, <laughs> you see it now, don't you? Now I do. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that answered your question, Casey. But we all we all agree that the outburst was not okay. What about her relationship with Mary? 
let's have our guests respond. Maybe I'm overreading it. <laughs> let's have our guests respond. Maybe I'm too. Well, close I think to on one. Yeah, on one level, I I understood that um, there were hurtful things said on both sides, right? And uh, to me, this whole smells like hospital thing that everyone's been talking about. <laughs> You know, the, the statement itself is kind of bizarre. Like, she didn't even say a hospital, right? She, she smells right. like, or it smells like hospital. Um, and I, I can understand someone saying that and someone responding, saying, you know what, actually, that's kind of hard for me because my aunt was just, you know, had this terrible surgery. It was the response to that that I thought was, just, was way over the line. It was to blame this woman for her own health problems because she didn't drink enough water. She's not healthy enough. And the implications of that, I think, are pretty hurtful. And so I think that's what sort of set things off. It was much more that than just the, the smell conversation. And so, you know, obviously, uh, drunk Jen, when she talks about, you know, effing her grandfather, um, that was also way over the line. And once you get those kind of things out in the open, it's pretty hard to recover. Right, right. It's really traumatic. I didn't, you know, I watched um, Salt Lake, you know, kind of with this air of, <laughs> is this home or not? But when I'm thinking about it, it really had, uh, 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 there were some really dark moments in the show. And I think on the intro, um, what someone says that there's all this prettiness and it's hiding some dark things. But there's mm-hmm. really some pain between those women. And, you know, not necessarily between them, but in their own lives that, um I don't know. I, I think we've got a window into some of it, but the hospital smell like hospital. I'm also wondering if Mary also did her research and thought, you know, what is, what is, what is a good one liner or what is some, something that could be epic. And I think then production just kind of said, Oh yeah, keep pushing this. Because it was bizarre. It was bizarre. Yeah, um, it was strange. And you know, to me that I, I agree with you about the sort of shared pain because that, at each moment that they sort of let themselves talk about their marriage a little bit, they both admitted to being pretty lonely and pretty isolated, but also they both hinted at, you know, how difficult it was to be women of color in Utah Mm -hmm. and they had that in common. Right. And so, you know, I don't know the, the dynamic there in terms of, uh, you know, whether there was a sense of competition between them, whether there was a sense of, you know, having to be the, the, the standout, I don't know. But it was, it was to me, the deepest and most profound tension of the whole season. I agree. I agree. But, um, you know, I mean, I could talk about race in Utah all, all day long, <laughs> but there are other things we can get to. But I do believe there was a competition between them about who could be the more authentic black, right? Um, was it Jen who, who literally birthed three children or was it Mary who was raised black but also gets uncomfortable if black men are outside around a store when she drives up. So I definitely think there was a who's more authentic kind of politics going on in a really subtle, not even subtle way, similar to how there was who's the better Mormon or who knows Mormon, right. I'm sorry, LDS culture better. So, Well, and I think we're definitely going to talk more about race in Utah and some of those dynamics later in the show too. So my, my question, my next question for Jessica and, and Brett. Um, so I grew up 
as the non-Mormon kid in the Mormon friend group in California. And so there are many things that I saw on Salt Lake City that felt really familiar. But I was wondering if the show was recognizable to you two as people born and raised in Utah with relationships to uh, the Mormon church. And so I'm like sitting here thinking, you know, my friends never, ever, ever drank Diet Coke. <laughs> but is Diet Coke with lemon like a, a popular beverage in Utah? Did the cast representation of life in Salt Lake City hold up for you or not? I mean, for me, the person that I most recognized in my own experience with Utah Mormonism and my childhood uh, was Heather. You know, because she had, I think, the most conventional Mormon upbringing. She went on a mission. She had the, the expectations of a certain kind of Mormon life. And then when that didn't work out, it was really tragic to her. Um, and I really understood the world she was coming from. Um, and I also thought it was a little silly sometimes when, you know, someone like Lisa is talking about being this, uh, you know, upstanding Mormon, but she makes her money selling tequila and then she's drinking. And like, I have no problem with making money selling tequila or drinking, but it seems a little bizarre that you think then that, you know, one of the sort of core cultural markers of Mormonism, uh, is something you could just completely ignore and still consider yourself you know, in the core. So it was very interesting watching, but you know, I, for me, it was a, a completely different Utah, except for the little echoes in Heather's life. Right. And I guess a little bit in Whitney and Justin's too, because, you know, they are the ones who were, um, they were also pretty conventionally Mormon growing up, you know, Whitney graduated from high school, uh, from Lone Peak high school, where I, I, I could see that high school in my backyard at the oh. time she graduated. I learned this later, of course, just now, but, um, so, you know, I also sort of know that world. Um, this is sort of in Northern Utah County and that world seemed sort of horrifyingly familiar to me. Um, because it's really a, a troubled place. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, I need to go back to Northern Utah County. Where were you actually raised, Brett? So I grew up in Kaysville. Did I not? Um, I did not know that. Okay. My lagoon. Yeah. Right? So I one amusement park. Yeah. One amusement park. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> I was a Davis Dart. Mm. Okay. Okay. But then for for three years after my postdoc, I actually taught at BYU. If you can believe that. Yes, I'm aware of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it was a, an interesting time. But it was then that I was living in, in Utah County, so a place called Cedar Hills, which is sort of northern Utah County by Highland and Alpine. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, it, it was a glimpse into a version of Mormonism that was really intense and really sanctimonious. And not, not that all of it doesn't have a little bit of that, but I grew up in a, a liberal family. You know, my, we were the only Democrats on our street. And like, you know, the, the candidates for governor would come into our living room because our, the caucus was held in our living room because there were like, wow. eight Democrats the entire district. So, like, we were already kind of a weird Mormon family, and I didn't know that. I mm -hmm. kind of thought that Mormonism was about caring for the poor and, you know, uh, accepting people for who they are and being generous. And that was kind of what Mormonism was to me growing up. And then I got to Utah County and I realized, whoa, no, this is not actually what most people think Mormonism is. Right. And it was right. kind of a shock. And that's, that's basically when I finally left the church. Mm. 
Does someone want to prod there, or should we go on? <laughs> I know what I mean. We're going to come back to leaving the church in a minute. Um, I'll, I'll answer Casey's question, and then I'll come back and prod a little bit. Um, for me, what, nothing about it was recognizable. I lived. Uh, I was raised in West Valley City, the WVC, the west side of town, the quote-unquote poor part of town, but really no one is, I don't want to say no one is poor in Utah. To say it's the poor part of town is mis- is misnomer, right? Um, anyway, uh, so this I some of the restaurants I went to, I had to call my sister who still lives in Utah. She said, "Yeah, no, we don't go to that. It's some overpriced Italian restaurant." Um, I do want to send the record straight because Lisa has been just drinking her 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 diet coke with a lemon. I've, I've tried to explain to anyone who listens that the universal drink in Utah is a coke, whether it's a coke or not. Whether it's Pepsi, whether it's Sprite, everyone right. says, just like other people say you want a soda or you want a pop. The answer is Coke, whether it's really Coke or not. Um, and then the Utah County, the Utah County, you know, um, my, <laughs> the white family members of mine are from Utah County. Like I was raised in Utah. I was raised for two or three years in Utah County. And that's where my grandmother lived. And in fact, or lived. And in fact, Brett, where you lived in Cedar Hill, Cedar Hill or by uh, Alpine Hills, or yeah. Highland. Um, so, um, in Alpine, there's a stretch of property called Carter Ridge that used to be mm-hmm. all my family's property. My family was one of the largest, uh, landholders in what is now, now big Lehigh, Utah. By the, then it was little Lehigh, Utah. So I'm very mm-hmm. much deep in, uh, U, uh, Northern Utah County and the conservative and wacky Mormonism ways. And for some of that, that's also why I, I respond the way I do to the LDS church. Like there's LDS, the LDS church outside of Utah and outside of Utah County. And then there's this homegrown, very, it can be a very cruel, very cruel culture, very painful culture, mm-hmm. very insider outsider. So, wow, we're, we're dark again. Okay. <laughs> Lighten us up. <laughs> Lighten us up. Give us something light. Um, so transitioning slightly, we're going to talk about Heather um, more in depth in a in a moment, and then of course we'll talk more in depth about Mary Cosby during the second half of the show. But can we chat first about Lisa Meredith and Whitney? Um, what were your thoughts on them as housewives? Do you want me to start, Brett? Since this is yeah, your first foray great. into housewives ever. Um, that would be great. You're doing great, great, Brett. You're doing great. You're taking it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'll i start with Meredith. And, you know, the point of being a housewife and putting yourself on the show is to share things and to, might I say, engage. Um, and she didn't <laughs> seem to want to do any of those things most of the time. You know, things came out about her relationship with, with Seth and all and all of that, but she just seemed really standoffish um, for the majority of the season, I thought. Um, you know, so I don't know what she thought she signed up for, um, you know, having cameras all around all the time, um, but, but she just seemed kind of uninterested in, in things. And I understand not wanting to get involved in drama and all of that, but again, it's a housewife show, and that is kind of what makes a housewife show. Um, in terms of Whitney, um, you know, she was 
kind of the exact opposite of Meredith. And she was, she shared everything, you know, she shared the good and the bad. And I found in the storyline with her father to be very personal and very emotional. Um, and I thought it was kind of brave of her and of him to put, uh, their life out there like that. Um, cause but that's easily, those are easily things that, that didn't have to be on camera, um, or, you know, uh, off limits. And she didn't, she didn't make them off limits. So I thought that was interesting. I also found it interesting, um, how <laughs> the story she shared about, um, Justin's parents having kind of a line of wedding pictures on their, in their wall, um, that she, uh, you know, of, um, you know, him and his ex-wife and his ex-wife and her new <laughs> husband and then her and, and Justin. So I thought that was, um, a little, a little interesting to, to say the least. Um, and in terms of Lisa, I think she was there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to sell, 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 you know, whatever it was. Um, I think that's just her mode. Um, and I think she likes herself a lot. So she wanted other people to like her too. <laughs> Well, can I go, what did you think about her reunion performance? Not um, her reunion interview, her reunion performance. <laughs> it was absolutely, it was definitely a performance. And I think it, it, what's interesting about this reunion is they had time to think about watching process the whole season for a lot longer than most other shows do before they get to the reunion. And I think they all came with a script and it all came with uh, performance ready to go. And hers was to, um, kind of disabuse viewers of the, the image that was painted of her, she thought by, you know, Heather and, and Whitney in some ways too. And I thought that, um, she had, um, very, clear goals in what she wanted to do. And I, I found it, you know, I, all of the yelling just stresses me out, <laughs> which why do I watch these shows if that's the case? Um, but, but I thought her even turning on Meredith a little bit and, and all of that I thought was, um, you know, not what we saw of her kind of in, in the, you know, regular season of the show. So I, I was a little surprised by how she, how she came off um, at the reunion. Do you think we're ever going to get to a time when housewives are no longer, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, where housewives are no longer uh, cognizant of the camera anymore, like like in the no. first couple of seasons of various housewives shows when it was first starting out? Yeah, I think they... I don't think so. I don't think there's any going back um, because you see in those very first seasons of all these other franchises and a return in the, these, all of these women come in with their own businesses and their own things to sell right away. Whereas all of those things seem to come in seasons two, three, and four in, in later, in later seasons. So I don't think there's any way they, I don't, I don't think they, you know, they're, they're pitching a very clear message and they're very aware of, of the cameras, I think. And I don't think they'll, that'll, um, change. I'm going to tell on Max here for a second, but it took almost half the season before he could tell Lisa and Meredith apart. 
<laughs> oh, I still can't. No, that's not even telling that's them. Everyone. I, I still can't tell them apart. All the time. <laughs> we were watching the reunion, and I still did not know who was who. And I think one of them got a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them started blonde. Initially, I think Lisa is actually, I could be wrong. One of them is actually a blonde. So in some early photos, we saw one of them blonde. And then they went brown hair, and then I was really confused. And then, Brett, you can back me up. Secondly, I was confused. Who are all these brunettes in Utah? Who are these brunettes? That is not the type. That is not the type. They look They look like Whitney. They look like Whitney. Isn't Whitney the type, Brett? Like the, the slender, the blonde. They look like Whitney. That's why I love Heather. But how did the housewife stack up for you, Brett? <laughs> or, or, so, I mean, you know, the... Your comment, just to build off that comment, you know, the, the pressures of sort of the ideal Mormon woman definitely go in the direction of Whitney, right? I mean, the, the blonde, the thin, the makeup, the um, perpetually young or trying to stay perpetually young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it's it was definitely uh, she was the most recognizable of that sort of stereotype and that, that mode. You know, Heather, to me, was the most recognizable from my actual experience. I mean, even she was way out of my actual experience. You know, I grew up in Kaysville, which is a, at the time had like 9,000 people in it. And, you know, it was really almost on the edge of the rural area. And, you know, I didn't know anybody who was rich. I just, I didn't know anybody who, you know, uh, had pomade brands of called Fresh Wolf. You know, I just, I just <laughs> none of my eight-year-old friends had their own, uh, you know, shampoo line. And none of my 20-year-old friends had, had tracksuit lines. Um, but, so, you know, that, that was, that was part of it. And so with the, with the dynamic between, you know, Whitney, Lisa, and Meredith, I mean, I can understand why this is difficult because it seems to me that, you know, Lisa and Meredith had been friends a long time and actual friends, you know, not just sort of uh, on air friends or, you know, part of a group, but that they had actually gone back. And so anytime you have a dynamic like that, where people are added into a group, you know, you can understand on any human level, how that can create jealousies. It can create a sense of like, you know, they're talking about me. They, they have these little sort of inside jokes. You know, there are all these kind of things that I think people felt on the outside of that of that pair. Um, and that happens anywhere, right? It's not particular to Utah. It's not particular to housewives. Um, Whitney was interesting for me because, you know, for the first, well, I guess up until Cherie's birthday party, she was my favorite. Um, and at, at that, you know, that first half of the season or whatever it was, um, I related with her in the sense that, you know, she, uh, had, left the church you know there was still a lot of her family and her husband's family that were really in the church which is the case for me too and you know they had sort of this public scandal which i didn't have but i could i I could just understand the dynamic of you know how how challenging that is um and you know then it she just starts to seem so young after a while you know like just the immaturity of thinking that this is a good moment when I'm completely hammered at, uh, you know, Jen's husband's birthday party. This is the perfect moment to talk about these issues. You know, I mean, it takes kind of a young and naive person to think that that's a good idea. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's not really an insight, except it was just my reaction. 
Well, no, I when I watched the the Sharice party, I thought it was true to brand because you know <clears throat> LDS people are not supposed to be worldly. They're not this. They're not that. That was is exactly when they would choose the time to to bring up something inappropriate or whatever. <laughs> I mean, because it's like you're not processing. We're in a club. People are drinking. So to me, it was actually a little tone deaf, but true to brand um, in terms of experiences. Uh-huh. Um, I want to go back to Allison and ask about Brooke. You said the track line, but I want to ask Allison in particular, what do we think about Brooke and the track line and Brooke just in general? Is it Brooke or Brooke? What was his name? Yeah, you were right. Brooks, Brooks I think. Yeah. Brooke. Yeah. Not, not like our Orange County Brooke. No, no. They're both Brooks. Or Whitney. I wish we had yeah, that show Brooks. where Brooks just shows up in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> we can have the, the real Brookses of bravo or something um, <laughs> yeah i you know i think i felt like a lot of people felt when you know with brooks on this show is he came on and everyone's like who is this he's hilarious he you know has his own confessionals almost immediately you know no kids have that right away i mean ace on atlanta has started to have some he's so cute but um you know, but there was questions of, well, did he time his time away from school in a very particular way so that he could be on this show, that he could also take advantage of the spotlight and sell this tracksuit? Um, and, you know, I think at first I was on board and then, you know, he just, he got roped in and he fell into the the trap of the the judgment and the comments um that you know turn that they cause conflict then between Jen and Meredith maybe not at the time but after the show comes out for sure you know that I know that they had some conflict um over social media about Jen coming after Brooks and you know, Brooks is 21 he's 22 now and so for Meredith to say don't talk about my child it's like well Brooks he is an adult and he, you know, he did leave himself open for some of this criticism by some of the things he was saying and the, the way he reacted to Jen in some cases. Um, so I found myself at first um, really kind of a fan of him and then, and then thought, you know, okay, maybe he, he, just, he just needs to go back to school. <laughs> Brooks to me felt like a, like almost like a young PK from Beverly Hills, right? It was like Brooks to me yeah. so paralleled PK's first season with Panningate and, and Erica. And to me, yeah, it felt sure. like mm-hmm. maybe someone else who'd studied the show and had like a certain, this is how he wants to appear or like kind of be messy in it. And so his um, discussion of, of Jen was uncomfortably like, PK and Erica and Panigate. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, Brett, something that you said during your description of Whitney struck me as really interesting. I was wondering if you can expand on this, if you can. Um, you you mentioned that Whitney is sort of represents the idealized uh, Mormon wife, um, and I'm I'm curious to know if you have any insight or, or, or Jessica, any insight into if this idea of like, A, what is an idealized Mormon wife and B, 
has that idea or or has this ideal uh, changed over time? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess for me, what I was what I was referencing there is more like the ideal woman woman. I'm not so sure about wife necessarily, given that um, she and Justin, you know, hooked up while they were both married. But um, I do think that there is, you know, in, throughout the show, there are a few times where they talked about the notion of perfection in Mormonism. And I think they've pulled it way beyond its intent, you know, by saying that, you know, you can have a perfect body or a perfect whatever house or, um, but there definitely is um, pressure for young women to be a certain way to please men. Mm -hmm. Um, On my, I was, I was a Mormon missionary for two years and one of the most disgusting things that was a thing that people said all the time. And I mean, I heard it dozens of times. Uh, when they're trying to motivate young men, more uh, missionaries to work, they say, the harder you work, the hotter your wife. Uh-huh. And that was a phrase that I heard dozens of times. It's just disgusting, right? And there's like this objectification that as long as I work, then I am going to be able to claim, you know, some idealized woman and that she is going to be valued based on how attractive I think she is. And so I think there definitely is a lot of pressure along those lines. And, you know, it, again, it's not the Utah I grew up in. I, I grew up in a, you know, a, a much less wealthy, a much less, um, uh, I don't know. I could say much less superficial, but that's not really true. I mean, um, uh, anyway, I'm not sure what I'm saying beyond that. But um, On the flip side, so two different Mormon boys, men at the time, told me that I would make a perfect Mormon wife if I would just converted first, which was always really weird because I'd be like, are we dating? I didn't know we were dating. And <laughs> but it, was a, it was a really weird phrase. And I was like, is this a phrase that, that more young Mormon men practice <laughs> to convert? Like, it was very strange. Well, it's always the answer is always you're such a good person if only you converted. Right. You're right. perfect mate if you only converted. And so conversion is a very big thing. Um, for me, the Mormon perfectionism and particularly as it relates to beauty, I'm about to unleash all, all my issues. So we might have to edit this out. Okay. The <laughs> ideal is thin, white, blonde. I'm either thin, I'm either 100% <coughs> white, and I'm simply not blonde. And so for me, um, and we keep dancing around Heather, I just feel like uh, I recognized Whitney. I know Whitney. I know that person. I went to high school and junior high school with that person. Whitney got all the cute boys that I nece- that weren't necessarily interested in a, in, in, in a black in a black woman. Um, and so to me, the perfectionism goes really. It's not just. I mean, it's ingrained. It's ingrained. There's a certain type. And then, and then, you know, I'm on the other side, if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll get this husband to do this, this, and that, that will take care of you. That was not my reality either. So, um, you know, again, the deep wells of the pain of a, of a, a church deep in patriarchy, weird and weird kind of othering. Um, so yeah, that's it. There is a perfect, perfect person that exists, but I didn't fit any of this any of those stereotypes. Since we're kind of dancing around it, why don't we kind of go there? So usually we talk about a favorite Bravo liberty. And instead, I think we should really talk about Heather as the Salt Lake City breakout fan favorite. 
um, much to Lisa's disappointment. But what about <laughs> Heather is making her a favorite Bravo celebrity? In what ways is Heather so relatable, or maybe not, um, for people from Utah and you know, and fans who aren't as familiar with Utah looking in? Um, I think you know, I. I think she's, you know, I could relate to her in some ways uh, just because she is real. And also because of, you know, I um, am, you know, now tangentially related to, you know, and have been educated in the world of the LDS church, you know. And so I could, I could see some of these things she's, she's going through and the things she's talking about with, not being accepted anymore and looked down upon. And, um, and what I liked about her was that uh, just her honesty and, and the, and I'm a fairly empathetic person. And the fact that if you didn't know that she had been divorced, you know, five, six, seven years ago, you would have thought it happened last week. You know, she's just so still very much affected by this divorce and the effect it's had on her, her family and what she thought her life would be like and the the world her kids are in. And I just, I just thought the fact that she was willing to be so vulnerable um, and in some ways, right, was the least aware or the least troubled by the cameras being around and putting on a certain face for the camera that I thought that that was, I just really liked that about her. Um, and so that's why she um, kind of, rose to the the top for me among these women in particular um i was less pleased by her her reunion performance um but but you know if we're talking about the the season itself you know she she certainly um it was her honesty and vulnerability that really um you know made her a favorite for me excellent yep um, I think I'd agree Bert. with that. Um, oh, sorry. I, you know, I would agree with that, uh, that it was her vulnerability, her honesty. Um, I think also it's that she had accepted and embraced herself as a sort of uh, a larger woman who uh, didn't try to always hide that and was, you know, unashamed and unafraid, even though fans and others have been pretty cruel about it. Um, and, you know, so just the fact that you see her in her kitchen in her T-shirt, you know, hanging out with her kids, um, she doesn't have to sort of get done up for everything. Um, but to me, the thing that I related to most was this sort of wrestling match that she was in with herself, you know, about, you know, her divorce was part of it, but it was also just a stand-in for a much bigger uh, set of questions, you know, what is my future going to look like? And, and if you do grow up completely immersed in that culture, you have one idea of what your future life is going to look like and what you want it to look like or what you hope it looks like. And there aren't very many, model, many models around for you of, of, you know, different approaches. And so it can seem sort of despairing when you, um, you know, face the prospect of being a single mother or being a single father and she wrestled with that out in the open. And she still was wrestling also with what her relationship was with the church. And that's pretty common for people who, 
you know, exit Mormonism is that it's not something you do on a Tuesday and by Wednesday you're fine. It's something you wrestle with for a few years. And then it's a process of a few more years to really kind of figure out your relationship because it's going to change your family relationships. It's going to change, you know, your social capital. It's going to change how you're accepted, who you can date. And, you know, so she is right that, um, you know, this is a major, major deal. And, you know, Lisa's dismissive approach to it, you know, notwithstanding, I think that from the world Heather's coming from, you know, she had a really honest and, and still unfinished uh, sort of uh, battle with herself over who she was going to be and, and, and the fear that she was going to hurt her kids or, or deprive them of something that, that she was supposed to provide for them. You know, it was really raw and really um, honest. Perfect. That was, that was perfectly stated um, for both of you. Um, yeah. I, I'm not going to say much more about Heather other than, you know, one time for the bigger girls and one kind of time for the unconventional uh, uh, viewpoint. Um, I think what Brett hit on is exactly true is that now she has to reimagine her entire life. And Whitney and her husband were actually, they actually left the church together. They had a plan, right? Mm-hmm. Or they were, mm-hmm. they were dismissed together. But to be in Utah, single parent, who and, and, and not of the perfect type, I can see why, why she has so much anxiety. So this opens up questions about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, colloquially called Mormonism. And Brett, there are a few things from the reunion that Twitter's uncomfortable about. They don't know how to explain. I knew that you were coming on the show, and so you um, would find the balance between um, deep doctrine and this is this is the public conversation. So, if you feel comfortable, can you tell us um, what it means to be sealed, and really what it means to be? Well, there's leaving the church, and then there's being excommunicated. People on Twitter didn't understand that you actually will get a letter if you're excommunicated. So in broad strokes, but but as comfortable as you want to be, can you explain those two things to the audience? Sure. Um, sealing is a particular Mormon uh, way of explaining that marriage will continue in the afterlife and that it will last forever. But the belief is that unless you are married by a Mormon authority in the Mormon temple, um, that you can't be sealed forever. And so there's a real emphasis on, you know, doing the things you need to do to get into the temple, uh, which is a sort of pretty strict observance with a lot of the sort of moral and ethical codes, um, paying tithing to the church, et cetera. And the belief is that if you do that and then you're true to it, um, you'll have a forever relationship, you know, after you die, you're still going to be married. Um, and so when there's a divorce in Mormonism, um, there are two processes involved. If you are sealed, you know, one is the sort of civic, uh, separation of the marriage, you know, the, the legal dissolution of the marriage. And the other is, uh, the, the invalidation of that sealing ordinance, that sealing ritual, Right. And um, they're separate. So you can actually be legally divorced, but the church still considers you married uh, based on that sort of temple ritual. Um, so that's that's you know, it's, it's just in, in some ways it's a, a, 
it's a little more complicated than that, obviously, but that's kind of the, the, the short of it. Um, in terms of excommunication and choosing to leave, you know, the excommunication is a process where there's actually a court that is held. Uh, it's usually uh, 15 men that get together around a table. And if you're involved in it, you might be able to defend yourself in that setting. But if you've completely withdrawn from it, they'll just have it in absentia. And because he was married and because he held what, you know, a position of authority in the church, um, his adultery meant that he would be excommunicated. And so that's why he ends up getting that letter, which is uh, the church telling him, you've been formally excommunicated from the church. You're no longer considered a member. You no longer have access to the afterlife. You're, you know, uh, you're, you're, Blessings are all taken away, and you're on your own. Um, and that's you, know, you can see how how raw that still was for him, even though he he wanted to leave the church. There was still something about that sort of declaration that he's not worthy, that he, he had imbibed that for his whole life about the need to be worthy and the need to live up to those standards, and and it still hurt him that even though he knew and wanted that exit that they judged him to be like, you can't stay if you want to. Right. Right. That actually happened in, when I was growing up, that actually happened in, in my neighborhood, right down the street, the Bishop of my ward and someone in the ward in the, in the congregation, um, both, they were both excommunicated. Um, because again, he was in a position of authority too, on top of that, on top of adultery. Um, Okay, so I think that is helpful because people don't understand those processes, and um, that was very helpful. But now we are really going to lighten it up, I hope. <laughs> we're going to lighten it up. <laughs> Friends, family, people who are listening, we're going to lighten it up. And how are we going to lighten it up, Casey? Today on our Banco Party Game Break, we're going to play a game I'd like to call Clairvoyance. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And this is a newlywed-style game where I'm going to ask Bravo-related questions. Allison and Brett are going to be a team, and Jessica and Max are going to be a team. And the team that wins is going to guess more of the correct responses logged by their teammate. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm glad Allison's on my team, because I certainly couldn't do this by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Max. <laughs> so it's uh, I'm going to ask these questions and I want everybody to kind of respond like you think. So you're going to log your own response, right? But then you want to also log what you think your teammate is going to respond, right? Because the point is going to be if you guess your teammate correctly. So the first up. Mary Cosby can instantly pick up the smell of a hospital on someone at a restaurant. Can your teammate? So what do you think? It's either yes or no. Yeah, this is a yes or no. So like I would make a column that says, uh, Max, your individual answer for yourself. And then the answer that you would give for Jessica. Or you think Jessica's answering, for example, right? Because there's a yes or no for you, but there's also a yes or no for Jessica. Does that make sense to everybody? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wouldn't it be about, since it's the newlywed game, wouldn't it be based on what one of us answer? Yeah, but this is Casey's take on the newlywed game, so you're both answering the same <laughs> question. Okay. All right. <laughs> Just asking for the audience. <laughs> I make my own rules one bunco party at a time. <laughs> Don't forget. <laughs> All right, everybody logged? Yes. Okay, let's start with Allison. Do you think Brett can detect the smell of hospital? No, I do not. Brett, what did you respond for your detection of hospital? Yes. Oh, mismatch. Okay. <laughs> you think you think you could detect hospital? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's right. definitely a smell. It's definitely distinctive. <laughs> okay. Uh, You're right. It is. Brett, did you think... I've never told someone they smell like hospital, but <laughs> I, I definitely have smelled it. Brett, did <laughs> you think... You've been in the ER, buddy. Do you think Allison can detect <laughs> the smell of hospital? I put no. What? Allison, what did you put? I put yes. Oh. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you can seeing a pattern. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Jessica, what did you think Max said? I think he said, no, I don't know what hospital smells like. That's what I think Max said. No, I said yes. <laughs> <laughs> you said yes? <laughs> uh, Max, what did you think Jessica said? I thought she said no. <laughs> Jessica? Uh, actually, the no was for both Max and I. I think Max and I both sat together and said, 
no, we don't know what hospital smells like. So I had no for both of us. We were like, how can we periodize the smell of hospital? Is there like a specific smell of hospital in the 21st century as opposed to 1898? <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely 1954 hospital there. Uh-huh. Second question. Coach Shaw set up a snowmobiling event. Would your teammate be... A great Coach Shaw approved snowmobiler, which includes steering. This is a great sign because I'm getting really funny looks from Max. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Allison, uh, do you think Brett thinks that he will be a great snowmobiler? Yes, I, 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 I think so. That is correct. Woo, okay, the first official point on the board. And Brett, did you think that Allison thought that she would be a good snowmobiler? No, I think she'd feel too nervous. Allison? That is correct. (laughs) Wow, wow, that's a perfect round for you guys. Okay. We actually talked about this very thing while we were watching, so that's how I knew the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jessica, what did you think Max responded? No, he's raised in Southern California. Max? Has he uh, seen snow ever? I put no. <laughs> I've been in the snow twice, and one of them was in Southern California when it snowed while we were in class one day. And I think it was still like 40 degrees outside like and sunny. <laughs> but there was snow on the ground, and we got to go outside and make snow. I guess it wouldn't have been snow, but it was like slushy. Uh, slushy. I, that's like one of the closest I've ever been to snow. And the other time I went to the mountains, but yeah. No. Max also can't breathe at high altitude, so he would be terrible. <laughs> Max, what did you think Jessica said? No. Hands down, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, like everything nature related, I have the ability to, but I'm not going to do that. I want to watch I'm Jessica and I would drive a snowmobile. <laughs> I can drive a boat. I can drive a snowmobile. But will I is the question. No. So we both, we won that round too. We got points too, Max. Handedly. <laughs> question three. Lisa is the Sundance queen. Where would your teammates say they fall in their Sundance awareness? One, don't follow it at all. Two, they dabble. Three, they look forward to Sundance every year. <laughs> Max, look at me. Max, we, we are on Zoom so we can catch cues from one another. So Max looked mm-hmm. at me like he could read my mind through the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Allison, what did you think Brett thinks about his Sundance awareness? I say one. Doesn't follow it at all. Ooh. Doesn't follow it at all. Brett? Am I wrong? It's a two. Aww. I do check out the listings. I mean, it's not like I've ever been, but I do look at the listings and see what's out. Will you occasionally watch something with like a lot of uh, press about it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I used to have the Sundance channel, so. Oh, wow. You know, that would, but but you know, I, you know, I don't, it's, it's a very light too, but it's, it's, 
It's not nothing at all. Yeah. I, 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 I think it, I think it I works know. for a dabble. What did you think Allison said? Uh, one. Allison? That's correct. Woo! Yeah. One point. One. Jessica? I feel like Matt is really a one, but he's got to be a two because the two of you together can, can toss it up. So I feel like he's kind of 1.5 towards a two. You need a definite answer, don't you, too? Yeah. You think, okay, you're going to go two. <laughs> Max? You were so close. I put a one. At one time, I probably would have been a two and maybe even a three. Uh, but since becoming a historian and now since especially since we have a kid like i have zero interest in movies and what is going on at sundance it will take max and i multiple nights in a row to try to get through a single movie now so so can i go back to one because notice my 1.5 was dependent on casey max by himself is a one max by with casey's like a 1.5 almost two that is what i said Give me half a point. So it looks on, like Cody. Casey isn't the only one who makes up the rules. Absolutely. Have you never listened to the <laughs> podcast? <in> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Max, what did you say for Jessica? I said three for her. She knows what everyone's wearing. She knows what, probably not what the movies are that are going to be slated, but she knows the stars that are showing up and she knows all their drama. So I'm going to say three for Jessica. I, I'm going to say a solid three. I will say this with a caveat for all those people listening. Sundance in Utah is like Las Vegas is for the rest of the state of Nevada. None of us really go. But I go ahead and watch all my friends posting, all the all the glitterati posting. And they're so excited to be at Sundance. And, and if they only knew that the office for Sundance was all the way down the hill and across the valley on the west side. The actual Sundance office is like by the airport on flat ground. <laughs> There's no picturesque movie scene. Um, but I am definitely a three because I need to know who's wearing whom and so on and so on. This is excellent. We are we're at a 3-3 three, three tie for our last question. Oh, my God. This is So there was a lot of fast food featured on Salt Lake City. So what would your teammate say is their favorite fast food drive through my teammates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is Max going to say his favorite fast food is? What is Jessica going to say, et cetera? Oh, no. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, we've never had this conversation. <laughs> we have never had this conversation. <sighs> I'm embarrassed about this This because there's an answer. <laughs> oh, that's, that is much worse for you. <laughs> I I do appreciate that it's a collective oh no cringe. I'll give okay. you guys a, you guys ready, or do you need another? Second? I'm trying to I'm trying to look through Zoom and see what Max is writing on his paper, but my glasses aren't on, and he just covered his paper. <laughs> I don't think you're gonna get it. I don't think okay. you're going to get this. Sorry. You're not going to get mine either. Okay. Allison, what did you think Brett said? Brett said for me? Uh, or for him? Yeah. What did Brett say for himself? Um, I'm going to go with Arby's. You know, I hate that you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and that this is going to be on a podcast. 
<laughs> but it's true. Oh no, <laughs> Arby's! Damn it! You know no what? judgment. I always no did judgment. like their curly fries, though. They don't do Listen, here's the thing. They don't do curly fries so anymore. This is actually no. there's a Utah background of the story. Arby's. The reason I like it. I mean, it's not like I go there all the time, but um, <laughs> it's not what I, heard. I, I have to make sure that's clear. I have to make sure that's clear. A um, couple times a year. Um, but when I was a kid, Arby's came to Utah and my mom loved horseradish sauce. <laughs> and so we would go and she would, of course, they call it horsey sauce. Yes. And the reason is that my grandfather had been kicked by a horse in the face. And lost his sense of smell. And so horseradish became his favorite food because he could actually taste it. So this is an honor to my grandfather. Rest his soul. Oh, now you make me feel like a jerk. Thanks for bringing that up, Max. (laughs) Okay, so what is Allison? I just put none. And that's exactly what I put. Wow. Wow, impressive. Another perfect round. Pressure is on, Jessica and Max. Well, Max, Max and I aren't married, so that's the caveat. We're not married. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, so for Max, I was really torn because Southern California, so it would be in and out burger. But I feel like if he had a driver that he loved, it would be more like Starbucks. So I completely plummeted they're both looking at me like i'm the worst person ever what is it what is it el pollo loco oh of course of course and they don't really have them in the san francisco bay area i think we realized there was one or two at the time that we lived up there and so Mm -hmm. like max would want to make a multi-hour drive for el pollo loco it's clean living. I mean, why not? Yeah. The citrus infused chicken. <laughs> yeah. Do you want corn or flour? I mean, I, I broke my uh, vegetarianism last for Kelly's weekend. birthday. For Kelly's birthday to eat El Pollo Loco chicken. Mm. Wow. Yeah. No, I wow. I love their stuff. Max, what do you think Jessica said? I'm, I'm open to an El Pollo Loco sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I know you probably the, get Los Pollos Hermanos. Oh, there, that's for sure. If only, if only there was a real Los Pollos Hermanos. I think they made one once as like a joke place, but I wish, I wish that El Pollo just like embraced <laughs> that. Um, I know. That, let me say this. I know that this is wrong. Uh, I know Jessica is not going to say that this is her favorite fast food, but I could not think of anything else and it seemed like the most cliche thing especially for uh faculty members living in southern california it's like the fast food place in and out am i wrong it's arby's it's No, it is so Arby's. Like, I found out one in Irvine. Like, I'm in a Facebook group and someone said, who eats at Arby's? I do. I love... I don't even love fast... I don't even like fast food. I love Arby's. This is such a twist. (laughs) I love Arby's. And Brett, for you, you probably won't remember this. I don't know if they had these in Caseville. 
second to Arby's. This is Utah specific. It is this place called Arctic Circle. Arctic Circle. For their French fries and their lime (laughs) ricky. And their lime ricky. (laughs) But really? Lime rickies. (laughs) Yes. So When I was in high school, Arctic Circle offered uh, five cent Dr. Peppers. And they forgot to put a limit on how many. (laughs) We 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 got like 30 each. And we filled oh up a, like a Gatorade jug thing. Oh my God. You were anyway. living on the edge. So yeah. Um, barring Arctic Circle, Arby's Best and my favorite fast food restaurant. And not because <laughs> my grandpa was kicking the horse, but my grandmother had a big garden and she always grew horseradish sauce. And so I was always perplexed between what was the difference between this horseradish and this horsey sauce. Um, so I never ate the horsey sauce when I was little. Now that I'm younger. Oh, I mean, now that I'm older. Oh. Well, that was one of my favorite Bonco Party games I think we've ever done. And congratulations, (laughs) Brett and Allison. You are our winners. I've never been in, in conversation with so many people that like Arby's ever. This is not true because at one point you didn't sit in my grandparents' living room. <laughs> Max used to go to Arby's to appease my papa, you know, That's so. True. That is true. I forgot about that. Yeah. My face is still red that I admitted to Arby's on a, a yeah, national broadcast. Same, same. Max and Casey can see I'm still bright red. That, that's incredible. Is that a is that a Utah thing or a Midwest thing? Arby's? Yeah. It's a Utah thing. Um, I think it's a Utah thing. Uh, definitely they have one in Vegas. Like, I can tell you where in the country they have them. <laughs> so I think it's an Intermountain <laughs> West thing. Um, yeah, I think also for me, it was that there were really not very many fast food options in, in Utah when I was growing up. And, you know, you sort of had the McDonald's Taco Bell option. Um, but Arby's was like gourmet compared to the other <laughs> drive through <laughs> options. And so. You know, it's just living large. <laughs> living large. That's too funny. Too funny. Um, <laughs> all right. So getting back into the more serious questions. Um, back before COVID times, we saw a Twitter photo of Brett at the then brand spanking new grand opening of the Vanderpump Cocktail Gardens. Um how was that experience? And would you visit another Lisa Vanderpump restaurant in the post-COVID future? Um, well, that like was my everything. <laughs> yeah, as I was going to say, go ahead, Allison. Yeah, I I made that happen. Um, I kind of um, coerced Brett and our friend and colleague to go there. Um, so um, that was my doing. Brett was just You're a little home. bit more active on Twitter um, at that time. So, so he posted it. Um, but I, I loved it. Of course. Um, it was very Lisa Vanderpump. Um, there were, you know, pictures of Jiggy and all of her other animals all over the place and um, very complicated and, um, fancy, very overpriced cocktails, as you might imagine. Um, but it felt, I mean, it felt very LVP. Um, and I can't wait till things open up so that I can go to Tom Tom. That's, 
that's my goal to 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 go there. We so, would totally join so yes, you. Yes, I would visit another one. When we went to Tom Tom for my 30th birthday, Lisa Vanderpump <gasps> walked by us with people walking <gasps> behind her and and Puffy was on on a pillow being carried behind her. The That's table was so uncomfortable up. because it was like you were almost sitting on the ground because it was like sitting at a coffee right. table on little poofs. Um, but we did have a sighting and uh, Richardson was working that night. So there were actual cast people there working that for real. Exciting. I am so jealous. It was a really I'm strange experience. She came out. It was almost like um, like you were... Uh, the, watching her on it's a small world or something like it was like she was like on a conveyor belt came out walked around and then just walked away (laughs) it was so strange and it was like looking at this person and at first i didn't recognize her like i was just like where do i know this and she's a lot smaller in person than than Uh on than at least she appears to be on the show or just so very petite yeah and so the hugest heels, like you cannot tell how high these heels are when you watch the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's a much better story yeah. than a visit to the Vegas cocktail garden. Um, so we've talked a bit about your academic journey, Brent, um, but can you tell us about how you came to your current academic project about enslaved people's rebellions in Martinique? Um, yeah, so my initially my research centered on Native American history, but I was uh, focusing on the enslavement of Native Americans by French colonists. And so part of that research involved looking at wider practices of slavery in the French Atlantic. And so um, for my last book, I did talk a little bit about the Caribbean and about um, sort of the rise of, of uh, slavery in the French colonies. Um And when I was doing research for that book, um, I was in an archive in southern France, and I was looking for something completely different. Just to plug it, Bonds of Alliance, right? Oh, hey, thanks. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Thumbing through a big collection of um, documents that was just kind of random. It was a an 18th century uh, French Caribbean guy who put all these together, like 200 plus volumes, and so it's just random. So I'm thumbing through hundreds of pages, and all of a sudden I came across these interrogations of enslaved people and maroons and free people of color who had been involved in this uprising, and it turned out to be like 80-plus pages of firsthand testimony where they were talking about really intimate things, you know, things like, you know, where they grew their garden vegetables and how they traded it with other people and who they were in relationships with and why they ran from their master and why they, um, you know, were, were deciding to, to rise up. And it, it just became such a rich source that, you know, for this early period in Caribbean history, we have, you know, a lot of stuff about laws and about sugar production, but there's very little about the human individual community and relationships and, and uh, experiences. So um, it just really drew me in. And then uh, once I finished the other book, I kind of went back to this. That's great. That's so exciting to have a source like that. Yeah. It's like the historian's dream, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And I, you know, I, it's, as, as our friendship has deepened, Brett, and I followed you on Twitter or we talk on Facebook, I remember that you posted part of uh, part of your new research or 
what then became became old research question mark um yeah. but i've been enjoying some of your research finds as you post them on on, on social media so how have you both navigated this past pandemic year with teaching, research, and writing, general pandemic life? Are there new research writing obstacles because of COVID? Uh, does it help that it's both of you going through it together? Or is it, you know, does it amplify frustrations? <laughs> Do you want me to start, Brett? You want to start? Yeah. Sure. Um, well, to answer your last question first, it does help. It, it helps to kind of be dealing with all of these things together, um, for sure. Um, I don't know how I would kind of handle um, the stress of kind of that, you know, lockdown and just um, the kind of complications with getting work done um, without without Brett. So I'm definitely grateful for that. Um, but just like everyone else, COVID's put a lot of things on hold. I was supposed to spend June through December of 2020 on a research fellowship in Washington, D.C., and that didn't happen, um, you know, and, you know, trying to figure out how to teach on Zoom um, and with empathy and understanding for what students are going through, that has been a challenge for sure. Um, I definitely miss being in the classroom and I know the students do too, um, but I'm just trying to get done what I can get done. So got through a bunch of research and finalized some databases, um, you know, over the course of the last couple months and just trying to get some writing done as I can in the midst of teaching and, and everything else, um, that, that is happening, but it's definitely, it's definitely changed things and it's, it slowed progress down um, more than I think all of us had hoped it would. So, yeah, the same is true for me. You know, it's definitely true that having Allison, um, who understands the particular challenges that I'm going through, you know, professionally, and and uh, we can talk about it in ways that you know we we don't really have to explain a lot of it because we we get it. Um, that's been a real uh, a real benefit um, for me. The hardest thing has been. Um, the isolation of it. I'm, I just, I thrive on social interaction and it's just been really, really hard to, you know, we've been pretty strict and we haven't had friends in our house for, you know, over about a year now. And it's just been, it's been isolating and difficult. Uh, but that said, you know, we are in a pretty privileged position. You know, we're at a job that allowed us to continue working. We didn't lose, uh, we didn't lose our pay. We didn't lose our health insurance. We, um, you know, we've had nobody in our immediate family, knock on wood, get COVID. And so in the grand scheme of things, we've been very, very fortunate. Um, you know, I've been department chair for this uh, period, and that's been really interesting and difficult because, you know, the constant uncertainty and shifting landscape means that we have to redo. Like we redid our course schedule uh, last quarter, I think four times for the entire department. And so that's been a, a real uh, drain on my uh, resources and my uh, sanity, but, um, you know, overall it's, it's been, you know, annoying and difficult, but not, uh, tragic like it has been for so many. Thank you. Um, so part of this conversation came out of Brett's email to us, 
of a New Yorker article by Doreen St. Felix titled The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City is Culturally Sensitive Trash. Um, can we unpack this notion of culturally sensitive trash and the ways that SLC is different or maybe not so much from other Real Housewives franchises? Brett, you want to go first here? Um, sure. You know, I, I can't really speak to the uh, other Housewives franchises because this is the one and only that I've ever watched. Um, but what I can say, so the, I, the article really struck me because it, it, it dealt with this notion of, um, you know, culturally sensitive trash, meaning that like, they're not pretending it's highbrow. They're not pretending it's, um, you know, anything other than what it is, but there was an effort by many of the people to grapple with religion, to grapple with race, to grapple with, um, you know, uh, issues of, uh, I don't know what it is. It's not really class, but sort of uh, background. And so, I mean, it was the most diverse cast apparently of all of the housewife franchises. And, so that meant that there were conversations, I think, across uh, divides that you might not have seen in other uh, series. And um, so I'm, I'm not sure that that really answers the question, but it's it's sort of what I've got. Do you have you noticed dynamics of racism and colonialism um, that sort of as they relate to SLC getting portrayed in the show? I mean, certainly, you know, because for one thing, the fact that um, Meredith seems so shocked that uh, that Jen and uh, Mary would talk about racism and the great horror to her was that someone got called a racist or not even called a racist, but insinuated that they had done something racist. And so she's like, I can't believe you do that. And as, as though the naming of the problem was worse than the problem itself. Right. Um, and that of course is a very common thing in my experience, not just in Utah, but everywhere. Um, but the other thing that I thought was really interesting that um, I, I thought quite a bit about was the sort of colonial relationship with Tonga, for example, yeah. Um, you know, Mormonism is, you know, I think it's one in eight Tongans is a Mormon. Um, you know, so it's like maybe the third biggest religion, maybe even the second biggest religion there. And it's obviously embedded in this colonizing um, of the Pacific by the United States. Um, and so you definitely see the outgrowth of that. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the general... Uh, the general lack of acknowledgement of privilege and of what that comes from, you know, and the, and the sort of legacies of dispossession. And, and they, they've dealt that with that with Mormonism, right? They, they completely uh, overlooked the question of racism and Mormonism. And they of course didn't talk about how the fact that Utah was, you know, populated by native people before the Mormons came. And so, you know, those are the kind of resonances that I saw. So I'm just shaking my head. I'm bobbing my head. I'm bobbing my head. <laughs> yeah. I want to well stated. <laughs> I think that my next question is building off of this culturally, culturally sensitive trash article and notion in that as I watched Salt Lake city, perhaps more than any real housewife franchise, I felt like it offered a lot of different entry points into various topics and themes in like a U.S. history survey course. 
And so I was wondering if this was something that jumped out for others or am I giving way too much credit to Salt Lake City? Um, what did you guys think? Um, I, I didn't really think about it as I was watching, but then you brought it up. And so then I started, I started thinking about it and, and I think you're right. And I think it, it tacks on to kind of this discussion of this, um, you know, New Yorker piece about racism, colonialism, but there's also, um, you know, class and social standing and, and power and, um, migration, right. The, you've got Heather's tagline with my pioneer ancestors. And so, so kind of the, the movement into, into Utah and, and this space. And then of course, obviously religion, um, plays a, a big role here. So I think, I do think in, in ways that some other franchises, um, don't, there, there are, are topics and themes that, that, that could relate, you know, more closely to, to, you know, themes that, that we, we teach and look at in, in the survey. So now you have me thinking about that and, you know, teaching a, a real, uh, a U.S. history survey through the lens of Real Housewives. I don't think I'd get many students to sign on and I'm not sure my department chair would allow it. So, um, what do you think, Brett? <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I definitely see <laughs> your knowledge of yeah, one it's, show. It's, the depth is pretty amazing. Um, no, so I, I mean, I definitely see the resonances of many of the themes that you know, I emphasize in my teaching. Um, you know, there's obvious resonances with with histories of race and privilege. There's also gender was just really interesting to me in this. You know, um, the different relationships between the couples. Um, and how they were scripted in terms of gender. You know, for example, you know, Lisa's husband was terrified of her. Just absolutely mm -hmm. in terror. He tries mm -hmm. to, like, bring something up, and he, like, ducks his head like he's going to get slotted with a newspaper. Um, and that was an interesting gender dynamic. And, you know, she uh, was willing to compare herself to Warren Buffett and to you know, say, you know, no one's asking you to slow your business down. You're asking me to slow my business down. Right. And so, uh, even though I think she was kind of, um, uh, rude and overbearing to a lot of people, I do take that as sort of a, an interesting entry point for discussing gender and sort of what's expected of her versus what's expected of him. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think the other thing for me was the idea of, um, uh, I guess really the idea of, of uh, Heather's um, sort of dual approach to, um, I guess, to, to ideals of femininity, to ideals of, uh, you know, the body, you know, because on the one hand, she'll wear a t-shirt and be completely comfortable in her own skin. But on the other hand, her entire business depends on women, mostly women, feeling uh, that they aren't good enough and they need to be made better. Um, and those kind of dynamics, I think, are pretty interesting to explore. Great. Thanks. Casey, I feel like I have to give a professor fail, a Bravo-demic fail to myself, because I've been teaching 19th century history this quarter, and I could have used Salt Lake. <laughs> We've been watching it since <laughs> November. Unbelievable. <laughs> How did I miss this? In fact, Casey was my guest lecturer for the West because COVID had caught up to me. 
uh, not COVID itself, but the pandemic had caught up to me. And I just could not pull something together the week we did the West. Casey, I failed twice. I did an assignment <laughs> <laughs> Real Housewives of Salt Lake, and I had to borrow a lecture from you. I failed at the Bravo Demic this quarter. That is terrible. It would have been perfect. Instead of texting and tweeting at the TV and the screen and that Max and Casey, I could have used it in my class. <laughs> so I failed. I failed, but you could have done rail. I could have done railroad, image making, blacks in the West, race, religion, great awakening. I just listed every way I failed in this assignment. I mean, so, there was also some temperance going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, right. Sure. I failed. Yeah, that uh, speakeasy, right? <laughs> right now, I'm like, can I can I wrap can I wrap an episode into week ten of ten for next week? I'm just gonna let it go. <laughs> I'm gonna let it go. But wow, three times I've been uh, embarrassed here. One as a young in undergrad at the University of Utah. Two, someone who eats Arby's, and three, someone who didn't uh, <laughs> didn't assign the most obvious thing in front of her. So we're gonna switch gears. So we know that I just failed as an act at Bravo Demic. We know that Allison is a Bravo Demic. But Brett, since your current project is digging into issues of, of hearsay, rumor, and trust, have you found yourself becoming more of a self-proclaimed uh, <laughs> proclaimed Bravo Demic? Um, are you watching more reality TV? And if so, or if not, what are your go-to shows? Um, yeah, the answer is uh, no. I guess I probably shouldn't say that here, but you know, I. I find personally, the reason I don't is not because I think it's lowbrow or because I'm better than it. It's because it stresses me out. (laughs) The conflict is really difficult for me. I I get in there and I have a hard time distancing myself from it and laughing at it because it just feels real and it feels so I just, I I have a really hard time enjoying uh, from a sort of distance perspective. Um, but I did find it really fascinating when I was watching this because I've been writing about these uh, these different maroon communities in Martinique, and you know, there's always the question of who can you trust and whose account of things do you trust and who do you you know let in and who do you keep out, um, and you know, so the dynamics are really complex uh, in any setting, and I, it did make me think about that for sure. But I, I kind of doubt that I'm going to be diving in again anytime soon because it, it's just emotionally taxing for me. That's an honest answer. That's an honest answer. Um, we've kind of talked about this, but I feel like we can't leave. Um, well, let me go back. What are your go-to shows? Do you have any go-to shows, Brett? Um, yeah, certainly. We, you know, we've watched a lot of TV since the pandemic started. Um, you know, a couple of the favorites, you know, Schitt's Creek was, uh, absolutely one of our favorites in, in recent memory. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a few other series that I've really quite enjoyed, but, um, uh, I really haven't done reality TV except for this. Okay. Right. Okay. No, that's fine. That's one part of the household. Allison, uh, have um, you more invested, less invested in reality TV and what are your shows? Um, I'm, I think I'm probably equally invested in reality TV. Um, I'll watch anything <laughs> Bravo, um, for, for the most part. Um, I, we saw, a, as we were making our way through Salt Lake, there was 
uh, a preview for for summer house new season and i said oh great summer house and and brett said well how do you how did you even know that um and just because i i because i know these things uh, unfortunately um but in terms of other other shows um the new season of queen sugar is has started and we have yes. got our DVR for that. And I'm very excited um, for, for the new season of that show. We, we very much enjoy watching that one. So that's another thing kind of on our, on our list. I am, I, I enjoy watching Ralph Angel. I mean, Queen Sugar as well. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He makes so- me feel insecure. <laughs> he makes a lot of people feel insecure. <laughs> just go look at the internet of pictures of him without his beard you'll feel much better you'll feel much better <laughs> interesting so Allison in your Bravo Demic expert analysis how do you feel Salt Lake City stacked up against other Real Housewives franchises and what do you want to see in season two um, yeah I thought this was a great first season I thought they hit the ground running with the smells like hospital conflict um, and then um, at the end with the the Vegas trip um, and their visit to that that woman's house with the giant giant pillows on her couch I don't know where you find pillows that 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 big, but, um, <laughs> but I thought it I thought it was a really good first season um, and like I said before I think they'd all done their homework um, and knew, Kind of the kind of images they wanted to portray and the things they wanted to do. Um, and I don't really know what to expect from season two. I don't know who's going to arrive. Is it going to be their reunion selves or is it going to be their regular season selves? And I think that could be interesting to, to unpack and, and to watch how that unfolds. Um, I'm not, certain I need Meredith Meredith to come back um but I'd like to see everybody else for sure come back are there any housewives I mean you just said Meredith but are there any other housewives who you do think will not make the cut um I I don't know now like what Casey brought up before with this new footage and video about Jen I don't know if they're gonna want to um, leave her in the cast or, or go another direction. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, you know, but, but I think, I think they, they can't do without Mary Cosby. I think she just brings too much to the table that they, that they won't, um, you know, if she wants to do it, I think they'll, they'll certainly have her back. Do you think as a full-time member this time? Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. If she's willing, if she, you know, wants to film anywhere but her closet, I think they would be happy for that. <laughs> Did her closet overwhelm you too? Jessica and I have texted oh. about this so oh. much that like it's high end so, fashion, but it's yeah. it's like so overwhelming to see her film in her closet. Yeah, a little hoarderish, a little hoarderish. Yes, for sure. When Whitney said she was a high end hoarder, I, I absolutely agreed with that. Wow. Okay, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. <laughs> Allison and Brett, tell us what's next for you and what you want people to know about your upcoming work. How can they get a hold of you if they want to know more? Brett, you go ahead first. Okay. Um, you know, what's up next for me is finishing up being department chair. Thank heavens. 
Um, I'm going to be uh, finishing a book about the French Atlantic um, in this next year and uh, working on this project about Martinique. So uh, people can find me by looking at my uh, website um, that is on the history department webpage at the University of Oregon. And I used to be on Twitter, but I've kind of left Twitter for the last several months and I, I, I don't really miss it, but at some point I might go back. Um, so I think the website and the email are the best ways. Okay. And as for me, I'm just, um, working on my, my book on, on freedom and the law in 18th century Virginia and, um, getting that ready to go and, um, submitted to UBA press who will publish it, uh, once it's done. Um, so that's kind of the main thing on my to-do list. And I have um, signed off of all social media as of December. Um, so the best way to get in touch with me is um, at my email, my amadar at uoregon.edu. And you can find more information about my work and my research at my faculty page on the University of Oregon website. Excellent. Thank Excellent. you so much um, for joining us today. This was an absolutely wonderful discussion. Yep. Thank you. Oh, yeah, it was really great. Fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. So here's my follow-up question. only, Jessica, we didn't have to admit Arby's. I, I mean, I'm not ashamed <laughs> of it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 so my thought, my last question, and it, it, it has the interview, we're over, we're, we're one minute into your time. So who do you all root for in the Pac-12 sports, the Ducks or the Utah Utes? Utes. For me, <laughs> answer yeah and i've Allison. kind of adopted them too i've adopted them as well so oh you're my people oh, Wonder- Ohio State yeah. Thing, though. <laughs> I, I yeah I, I, do you take yeah, utah over yeah. the bruins jessica i have to because i always go for the underdog but it's always a problem because when utah now plays ucla i have two chairs in my house one a utah chair one a ucla chair and it's really a problem <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sad when Utah wins. I'm not sad when Utah wins. Wow. Sorry. Yeah, last year the Pac-12 championship uh, was you know Utah Oregon. You know last season, mm-hmm. not this season, but last season. And so I was teaching the survey. I had 240 students or something like that, and uh, I wore a Utah shirt the day before Uh-oh. the game. And of Uh-oh. course, they did not do well. So when I came back <laughs> to the final. The students were just relentless. They, uh, <laughs> they let me know that I had jinxed my team and it was my fault and they loved it. Oh, wow. <laughs> mean. Okay. So thank you both. We're not going to take any more of your time. I have no more questions that are, un- that are irrelevant. <laughs> As always, you can find us at historiansonhousewives.com where you can propose your own episode topic, ask us questions, and send us feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HistoriansH. And don't forget that you can like and review the podcast on your podcast platform. You can also find us now at our Etsy shop, Historians Housewives. This episode was powered by ACAST. Thank you, Allison Madar and Brett Rushforth. This show was brought to you with the support by 
Barbara and Mark Spear, Saddleback Community College, Molly Callahan, Dr. Joaquin Galarza, Courtney Crow, Lara Loper, Kim Bettendorf, Luis Isio de Dios, and the Agipong Foundation. And remember, scholars do bravo too. Uh, we can do another one on this reel just to run so it that I have too. All the attitude. Yeah, let me get Fussy, fussy, fussy. I don't feel fussy. I think that's it. I'm not feeling fussy. <laughs> um, do you want me to put on like Madonna or something? No, I just want to. Do we look like the Madonna group to you? Sorry, you want me to put on like Janet? Not the 60-year-old Madonna. No, let's do it again. Let me just give you fussy, fussy. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.